As we come to the last Sunday of the year, we will end the year by starting something new. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 1, we are going to begin working our way through this book together on Sunday mornings, and I'm not exactly sure. Um, yet what direction we will go. Uh, Hebrews is a little longer book than we have uh, went through together, and so it may be that we do about half of it and then do something else and come back to it, um, but that may be a surprise for you. For our curriculum team, I'll probably let them know that ahead of time because they would appreciate that in their writing. The book of Hebrews is wonderful for many different reasons, and not the least of which is the fact that as the song we just sang tells us, our God is great. And one of the primary concerns with the book of Hebrews is telling us how Christ is greater and who Christ is greater than. And those would seem to be very simple things. They would seem to be things that we would take for granted. But I would encourage you that when we take it for granted that Christ is greater than, and the list will be lengthy throughout the book of Hebrews, that we do a great disservice to ourselves. And I would say that we minimize exactly how great our God is. Because we can sing a song like that, a familiar hymn that has been sung for generations, but we sometimes do so forgetting exactly how great our God is. The book of Hebrews primarily concerns itself with how great Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for us, how great He is. And so I want us to begin this morning on a journey through this book that I hope will encourage each one of you to consider afresh and anew how great Christ is. And so I invite you this morning, if you would stand with me in reverence to the God of uh, reverence to the Word of God, as we begin reading in Hebrews chapter one, verse one. The Bible says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. 
You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must, pay clo- we, much, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgressions or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. You may be seated. In the text before us today, the writer of Hebrews primarily concerns himself with the supremacy of Christ and the implications thereof. If Christ is supreme over all, if He is greater than all, if He has made all, if He is all and controls all, there must be implications for us. These are realities that for us today are difficult to ignore. As a matter of fact, as we go into chapter 2, we see that the author warns his readers against ignoring the salvation that has been won and offered by the Son of God. He warns them, do not ignore the supremacy of Christ. Do not ignore that Christ, the Son of God, is greater than all. So as we look through this this morning, I want us to look at the fact that God has spoken And in his speaking, he has told us why the Son is supreme. And then he tells us that since he is supreme, we should listen to him. Beginning in verse 1, we see that God has spoken. What a great miracle it is for us that God is not silent. He has not left us wondering about what He is doing or what He is thinking. God, the Creator of the universe, the One who has made everything that is, that has made you and I, has spoken to us. That may not seem like a big deal to you. But if you stop and think for a moment about what that means, And even more so, what that says about God and about us, that God has spoken. In previous times, we see, as he says in verse 1, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We just finished looking 
for the last several weeks at the book of Zephaniah from the Old Testament, and we saw that God spoke through this prophet, and he talked about the things that were to come. He talked about the judgment and destruction that he was bringing. He talked about the great grace and mercy that he was going to pour out on the world. But here, the author of Hebrews tells us that God has went even further. In the Old Testament, he speaks through the prophets. He uses the signs of the prophets. But in these last days, the writer of Hebrews tells us, he has spoken through his son. He no longer left it up to men who were sinful. He no longer left it up to those who had been born a normal birth, who had lived a normal life, and who he had called out to speak. But instead, in these last days, as this last sign to us, as this last opportunity for us to respond, God sends his Son. Friends, the fact that God has spoken leaves us without excuse. God has answered for us all of the relevant questions. Now, you and I may still have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions about the way the world works. I have a lot of questions about why things happen the way they do. I have a lot of questions about suffering. I have a lot of questions about heartache and hurting and persecution. I know those things are normal because the Bible tells us they are, but that still leaves me with a lot of questions. Why are we, why would God allow us to be in this state? Why why would all of these things happen? I have those questions, but those questions are not relevant. Because in the end, the answer is He's God and He can do as He wishes. He's, He's God and He blesses those who he chooses and he curses those who he chooses he's he's God and he can do that but for us God has answered the relevant questions he has answered the question of how we can know him how can how we can be a part of his family how we can be joint heirs with Christ how we can be saved and go to heaven when we die he has answered those questions He has given us His opinion on sin. He has given us His opinion on grace. He has told us those things. He has made them crystal clear. And therefore, we are without excuse. There will not be a time when people can stand and say, well, I just didn't know. Even if you go to Paul's letter to the Romans, we see that that everything around us, everything that God has created, is pointing us toward Him. It still blows my mind that someone could look at a sunset and have questions about whether or not there is a God. How they could look at how even as humans we have been intricately formed, even from our mother's womb, and have a question about whether or not there's a God. God has answered those relevant questions. And what's so important to the writer of Hebrews is that he has done so here in these last days through his son. He loved us enough that he did not see us as second class. Even though we are sinful, even though we are unworthy, God did not look upon us as such. 
But instead of just sending us a prophet, instead of just sending us a priest, instead of just sending us an angel, he sends his son. Who better to represent the Father? No one even comes close. And so God speaks to us here through His Son. And He wants us to see clearly that the Son is supreme. The Son is superior to all. Now you may ask yourself, well, why? As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews here is dealing for some reason with this idea that possibly Christ is no better than angels. I think it's very interesting in the day in which we live that uh, many people are obsessed with angels and they're obsessed with the workings of angels and they seem to have more reliance on angels than they do on God. He wants to, he wants to make it clear here that there is nothing or no one who is even close. No one even begins to get close to the greatness of the Son. So look what he begins to say here. He wants to answer the question, why the Son is supreme, and he does so over these next several verses. There are eight reasons that he gives that the Son is supreme. And these are not things that should be just brushed off. As a matter of fact, if you've been in church very long, none of these things are going to be shocking observations. They're probably not going to surprise you. But yet I would say that we, we brush them off, we take them lightly, we do not dwell on them. And it's one of the reasons that we so often do not have a high enough view of Christ. These things have eternal implications. And so let's look at them. There are eight, beginning in the second part of verse 2. The Son is heir of all things. He says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Psalm 2 tells us that the nations will be the heritage of the Messiah. God has promised to give Jesus everything. All that the Father has belongs to Christ. Jesus was obedient even to the point of death. He was obedient throughout His life. When we find Jesus praying, we find a man who is dedicated to doing the will of His Father. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus is fully God, in every way God. And yet here, Jesus is obedient to the Father. And therefore, the Father gives Him everything. He stands an heir to it all. What, amaz what an amazing gift that is, that God gives His Son. And it's not something that He promises to angels, it's not something that he just gives out without thinking. It's not something that he doesn't plan for. The wonderful thing is that since you and I have been called the sons and daughters of God, the Bible describes us as joint heirs with Christ. 
Friends, the only reason we get to be a part of that is because Jesus was obedient and God made him heir of everything. It's all his. That's not been offered to any earthly king. It's not been offered to any earthly government. But it's been given him freely because of his obedience. The son is the heir of all things. Secondly, end of verse 2, God created the world through him. Through him also he created the world. This is a huge statement. If we go to the Gospel of John and we go to the first chapter, we read the exact same thing. That at creation, when God was making everything, there was Christ. There are some who would like to believe that Jesus did not exist until that day in Bethlehem when His mother gave birth to Him in that barn. But the Bible tells us that there was no time when Jesus began to be. There was no time when Jesus was created. There may have been a time, there was a time when He was born physically in flesh in Bethlehem of Judea, but Christ always has been. And when God there in Genesis chapter 1 begins to speak and things begin to be created, it is Jesus who is there making those things with His Father. Everything else that you see around you, everything has been made. Each and every one of us has been made. All of the creation that we witness has been made, but the Son has not been made. He always has been. He always will be. He was with the Father long before creation. In eternity past, in billions upon trillions of years ago, they're just, they've been around forever. Jesus is there at creation. And that makes Him superior to all. Because the angels cannot claim that. They are not eternal. The heavens are not eternal. The earth is not eternal. But Christ is. And friends, that makes Him superior. Thirdly, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Radiance is the light or heat as admitted or reflected by something. Radiance is the light or heat as admitted or reflected by something. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is superior because He perfectly reflects the glory of God. When we see Christ, when we see His attitude, when we see His heart, when we see His miracles, when we see the passion in His death, we are seeing the glory of God. As a matter of fact, it is only through Christ that we are able to accurately see the glory of God. See, if you go back and you look at the Old Testament, there are those who would get this impression that somehow the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New. That somehow God in the Old Testament is mean. He's judgmental. And He destroys people. And He sends His wrath. But in the New Testament, we have Christ and He... He beckons the children to come to Him and He shows His love and mercy and He welcomes in sinners and that's somehow different, but that's not it at all. Because from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, when we fall into our sin, God is pursuing us and, and trying at every place to redeem us from our sin. 
And when Christ comes into the world, we see that glory that comes from God, and we see it perfectly. We see who God is. We see His passion for lost people. We see His passion to redeem those He has created. The Son shows us how awesome God is. Because God, in His glory, sent His Son for us. Friends, nobody else reflects the glory of God. Nobody else can even come close. No angel, no preacher, no church member ever gets even remotely close to reflecting God's glory. But Jesus does it perfectly. He is the radiance. He is what we were able to see here. If we go back to the Old Testament, we see that people could not see God. They could barely stand to hear His voice. So God sends His Son to perfectly represent Him here on earth. And that makes Christ superior. Next, He is the exact imprint of God's nature. Verse 3. God is God. It's a pretty easy statement to make. God is God. Well, Christ is too. Jesus is God. They have the same nature. They're not somewhat different. We say God in three persons, yes, but they are one God. And Jesus, when He walked on this earth, was fully God. Everything that God is, every characteristic, every ability, every power can be found in Christ. Any limitations that we see in Christ were ones He put on Himself. Not ones that were forced upon Him. He is fully God. The exact imprint of God's nature. Don't let anyone ever tell you that Jesus is anything other than God. Because if Jesus is anything other than God, then He is the worst liar in human history. He has led more people astray than anyone in human history if He is not fully God. If Christ is not fully God, we have no hope. There is no, there is no salvation. There is no way to heaven. And we are all doomed. But praise be to Him, He is fully God. And as God, He was able to come and die a perfect sacrifice in our place. Anything less, anything less, and then He would have been a, a sinful man who died on a cross for no reason. Another victim of Rome or another victim of Jewish aggression or whatever. But it wouldn't have been meaningful to us. But He is the exact imprint of God's nature and therefore He is superior. Next, the Son upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus has not only created all, but He sustains all. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He holds everything together. Scientifically speaking, we know that it is, it is gravity and it is the force of the sun that holds the solar system into place and each one of the planets rotates around the sun at an exact 
uh, path, and that holds everything together, and then the sun and our entire solar system revolves around the universe. We understand that scientifically, but how does all of that work? Why does all of that work? Why does gravity not change and we all die immediately? We either float into space or we're all crushed into nothing. It's because at every moment, the Son of God holds everything in place. He causes everything to function the way He created it. He not only does that for our world and for creation, but He does so in our spiritual lives, holding our lives together, maintaining our salvation for us, holding our salvation for us. Could you lose your salvation? Yes, if Christ did not hold it for you. But the Bible promises He does. At every moment, He holds you up. He sustains you, and He carries you through this life. The Son upholds the universe, and that is why He is superior. Next, He made purification for our sin. He says, after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Jesus offered something no one else could, forgiveness. If you go back to the Gospels, think about the shock of the religious leaders when Jesus offers forgiveness of sin. They don't know how can this be. They, they want to know what's going on. How could this man offer forgiveness of sin? It's because he was God. It's because he was on his way to the cross. And on the cross, when his blood was shed, it was the blood that offered forgiveness of our sin. He was pure and died in our place where we could not die a pure death. When any of us die, we die as people who have lived very sinful lives. People who at many points in our lives have been controlled by sin, have been led by sin, have been directed by sin. So our sacrifice would not be pure. At best, one of us could die to stop the death physically of other people. At best. But Christ goes to the cross and dies a pure sacrifice. And therefore, we can be purified, not by our blood, not by our death, but by His. There are two more here. He sits, verse 3, at the right hand of the Father. It's always been a very interesting picture to me. If you think about this image in heaven, you have God sitting on a throne, and we, we see that at various places. You can go and look in the book of Isaiah, and you see God sitting on His throne. But, but the writer of Hebrews here tells us that when Christ ascends back into heaven, we see that in the book of Acts, that Christ ascends back. So what's he doing? You know, what's going on? Is he just hanging out? Is he just waiting for something to happen? Well, no, the Bible tells us that he has not only went back into heaven, but he has been seated at the Father's right hand. The right hand is the place of honor and power. The Bible tells us elsewhere that Jesus sits making intercession for us. Jesus is not in heaven wasting his time. But rather, he sits there at God's right hand, and he points to those who he knows. He points to those who he loves, and he says, this one is yours. 
Not based on what they've done, but based on my finished work on the cross. Based on what I did in dying in their place. This one is yours. Jesus couldn't do that from any other position. It has to be at the Father's right hand. It has to be seated there in that place of honor, in that place of respect, in that place of power. He's sitting at the right hand of the King. That spot is not available to anyone else. Some of his disciples asked for it. They found out that they were mistaken. They found out that they had missed the point of what Jesus was doing. He was not trying to build some earthly kingdom, but rather he was building an eternal kingdom that would never end. Part of that kingdom is being built as he sits at the Father's right hand. No one else can have that place. And that's why he's superior. And then the last characteristic. The last answer to the question, why is Jesus superior? Possibly the most profound answer is spelled out for us in verses 4 through 14. Jesus is superior because he has the most excellent name. Philippians 2.9 speaks of the name that is above every name. There is one name that stands above all others. If we go to the Old Testament, we see that God has a very personal name. It's a name that is considered to be so holy, a name that is so perfect that it would not be uttered by the Jewish people. They would not say it aloud because they couldn't say it correctly. God in the Old Testament is called Yahweh. The perfect name of God. It's a name that would definitely, under no other circumstances, be given to anyone else. No one would even utter it, much less give it to someone. But here we're told that Jesus gets the most excellent name. He gets the one that is above every other. Jesus receives that name. He's given the name of God. It's a name, higher, it's a name that is higher than the angels of heaven. If you look here, he says, Having become a much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He has become so much superior to the angels that it is like the difference between the name of the angels and the name of God. See, angels are always thought of as being important, but they pale in comparison to the Son. He has a name that they cannot compare to. If you go further and you look in verse 14, you see that they are simply ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. That's their job. If you look in verses 5 through 13, he is simply comparing that. This is what God has said about His Son. This is what God has said about the angels. This is what God has said about Christ. This is what God has said about these servants. There's a huge difference. 
And I would ask you this morning, wouldn't you much rather have Jesus, the one who has the name above everything, the, the, the name above every name, the one who is incomparable, the one who can never be matched, the one whose glory is that of the Father, or would you rather have a simple guardian angel? There's no comparison. They're not even close. We, as the sons and daughters of God, can call upon the name of our brother Christ. He is far superior to the angels. This may not seem like a big deal to you, but maybe of all of these, this is the biggest. Why is Jesus superior? Because God has given him his name. God has taken that holy and perfect name that is above all names, and He's placed it upon Christ. It's why we can say, Jesus is God. Nobody else can make that claim. Nobody else can come close. As a matter of fact, you and I may even call ourselves the sons and daughters of God because we can, because God has given that to us, but we would never call ourselves God. But Jesus can. Because God has given him that name. And that makes him far superior. There's eight reasons here, and there are countless others, as to why Christ is superior. And the writer of Hebrews lays those out for us because they are important to keep in mind. But he ends in verses in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, by reminding us that it's ridiculous if you believe these things, but do not listen to them. It's absurd. As a matter of fact, he asked, how shall we escape if we neglect these things? How can we escape if we do not embrace the one who is superior to all? He says, since all these things are true, we must pay close attention He says in verse 1, Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Do not get caught up in the ways of this world. Do not get caught up in putting your emphasis on angels, or putting your emphasis on Jesus as a good moral teacher, or Jesus as a good moral leader, and forgetting that God has called Him God. Because there's the temptation, and I think the writer of Hebrews is getting at that. If we begin to minimize who Jesus is, if we begin to overlook the qualities that God has told us about Him, then we will quickly drift away from the truth of who Jesus is. We will begin to embrace those other myths that have been put out about who Jesus is and what He did. We began to forget about His atoning work on the cross, that He died in our place, that He died a death that we could not die. See, the message has been proclaimed by the angels, He says, by the Lord Himself, by the apostles. It's been proclaimed, if you look in verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. We've seen the presence of the Holy Spirit. He has distributed gifts according to His will. All of these things point 
us to Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews asks, with all of this evidence, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's not possible. See, this is why the world stands without excuse. This is why our mission as believers in Christ is so important to share this good news with a world that is lost and dying because there is no way to escape because the evidence is so clear. See, I think this is where you and I begin to often go astray. We neglect the great salvation that God has given us. We become cold or we become flippant to the greatness of Christ. We get burdened with all that is going on around us. And we forget that we serve the God of the universe. We worry about our finances. We worry about our family. We worry about our job or what's going on in our nation. And we forget that ours is the God who created everything. Friends, we get used to church and our place in it. And we often forget about the object of our worship and our salvation, Christ. We fall in love with our religion, but we fail to listen to what God tells us about His Son. See, it's not the Baptist church that is supreme. It's not First Baptist Eichard that is supreme. It's that Christ is supreme over all. When we embrace His supremacy, we minimize ourselves and our focus turns to Him. When we realize that He is greater, most importantly, than us, our gaze once again turns on the Savior. Friends, it's easy. It's easy to draw our focus to ourselves. It's easy to look at ourselves. It's easy to look at what we want and our preferences. It's easy to look at where we're going and how we're going to get there. It's easy for us to plan for tomorrow and think about what is ahead. It's simple. We do it every single day. We do it every single day without thinking about it. We, we do it and we write it off. But when we embrace His supremacy... We will not look at ourselves because we cease to be important. We cease to be first. We cease to be the love of our life. We cease to be the gaze of our eyes. We begin to look fully at Him. Friends, let me promise you that while this is difficult to do, it is life-altering. Many of you may be so enamored with yourself that you will find it hard to look again at Christ. But do you need more evidence than this? He is the greatest. He is superior to all. He is supreme over all of His creation. And He calls us to turn from ourselves and turn to Him. Now some of you are here today and you do not know Christ. You've never trusted in Him. You've never placed your faith in Him. You don't even understand what I'm talking about. This has been a non-stop babble for the last however long I've been talking. 
simply to you, I would say that you desperately need a Savior because we all do. And Christ is obviously the only one who can offer it to you. Christ is the only one who can give you hope, who can give you peace. It is not easy, it is not simple, but it is our only hope. It requires that we abandon ourselves and we turn to Him. He even puts it to the point of taking up our cross, the cross, the place of torture and death, and to carry it with us. Today, Christ stands supreme over all. The great creator of the universe. The one who has made you and loves you. Why? Why? Would you want to place your faith and trust anywhere else? Why would you want to follow anything else? Why would you want to go anywhere else except with Christ? If you're here this morning and you don't know Him, He offers you salvation full and free. He offers it to you without monetary cost. He says, come. If you're hungry, come. If you're thirsty, come. If you are like me and have no place to lay your head, He says, come. Friends, we serve a great God. And as we go into a new year, my hope is that your first commitment or resolution or whatever you want to call it is that Christ would stand supreme in your life above anything else. But friends, from there, a lot of things that seem important, a lot of things that drive you, a lot of things that lead your life will no longer be there. It might be painful. It may not be fun. But there's excitement and joy in following the Savior. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we, we stand grateful that we have hope in you. That we have grace that we have peace, that we have mercy in your Son. Lord God, I am glad that your Son stands supreme over all. Because if it were up to any of us, we would have no hope, we would have no life, we would have no future, but God, you... You give us life, and you give us hope. God, I know there are those here this morning who don't know you, who've never trusted in you, and God, I would just, I would pray right now, God, that you would speak to them, that they would see the need they have for, for something, for, for hope, for life, that you would speak to them and tell them that it is in you. God, that you would call them to yourself this morning and call them to respond. God, we, we each one desperately, God, desperately need to see you as supreme over all. And so, God, I would ask during this time that you would call us to respond. 
God, that you would show us areas in our life where you are not supreme. God, where we do not treat you as superior. But God, rather we place other things. God, you would reveal them to us this morning. God, I pray that you call a response. God, and you do so as we sing. God, we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You'll stand with me this morning. Christ stands supreme, and he calls on each one of us to respond to that. And that response is different for each person. I don't know what it is for you. But the fact that God stands over all calls us to do something about it. And so I invite you this morning as we sing to respond to whatever it is God is saying, whatever he is leading you to do, that you respond as we sing.